Hello and welcome to the Desert Island Podcast. I'm Mitchell Cahaley and on the other line is Sean Landy. And we're here to talk to you today about uh, USA-Mexico, the real world finale, and uh, all other good things happening in the world right now. Sean, uh, Wednesday night, the USA played Mexico in their last friendly before announcing the 30-man roster for the World Cup. That will eventually be cut down to 23. The final score, USA 2, Mexico 2. For your initial thoughts on the game. Michael Bradley, once again, is the best player in County Calf. I don't think that's debatable at this point. Um, U.S. looks strong coming out of the gate. Problem continues to be the center back uh, with strong forwards running at them through the midfield. It's hard to imagine them holding up well against players like Cristiano Ronaldo and the German front line, especially with the prospect of distant strikes from guys like Lucas Podolski. Going forward, they look really well. The center field pairing of uh, Beckerman with Bradley works really well because Beckerman doesn't surge forward and get caught in possession like everyone's favorite Jermaine Jones does. We come from a long line of uh, Jermaine Jones spectates at the website. Uh, uh, Jermaine Jones is not uh, not welcome, I think, in the city of Mobile, Alabama. No, no. We know people that, that are very violent against Jermaine Jones. Uh, threats have been made against Jermaine Jones. We were, but uh, yeah. So we're very we're very pro Beckerman here, and actually, I think that is the better pairing, as you were saying. Um, Beckerman is more uh, will hold the hold in the midfield, and he's more disciplined than uh, Jermaine Jones. Jermaine Jones is more likely to uh, get caught out of position or uh, make some sort of mental error or mistake that will lead to a that will lead to a card. Uh, and this allows Bradley to go forward, which is um, as you could, as you could, we all saw on Wednesday night, he was uh, he was brilliant going forward. Now, how much, uh, how 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 forward he can go against the likes of Ghana and Portugal is a different question. Uh, do we see the four four two applied this summer, or no? Um, you know, I don't think so. I think that's that's certainly possible, but I think with Landon in the lineup, we saw more of the uh, the formation we're likely to see in Brazil, which is the 4-2-3-1. Uh, the 4-4-2 is kind of mandated by by personnel, and it is, it's definitely a way that the U.S. can play, but I think 4-2-3-1 works better for the way Jurgen wants to play, works better for the personnel that he's chosen for the most part. Uh, it gives width to the U.S. that they can exploit really well, and uh, will help try to to catch teams in midfield and give a little extra another bank of defense before the problematic back line. Well, that's key. I mean, I think I think you're going to have to play uh, five midfielders uh, against against those strong teams this this summer. You have to flood the midfield, although. I, I I'm not a conspiracy theorist or anything, but I think that 
there's a there's a chance that this team goes forward more than we expect uh, in the summer. Doesn't necessarily hold back as much as we think that they will. I think uh, Klinsman uh, getting the extension. A lot of people signify that as as he's you know uh, in the catbird seat to not really have to perform this World Cup. I think that kind of gives him a mandate in this World Cup where he can he can play a, a more attacking style. He can play. He can try and go forward a bit more, even though uh, we're we're up against some some stiff competition. Do I think he will? No, I think he'll be pragmatic, but I think uh, there, there's a chance that this team will be pushing uh, forward as a group more than we think. And I think that uh, we're all served better if Beckerman is holding in the midfield, or if Jeff Cameron's even holding in the midfield more so than uh, Jermaine Jones. I, uh, I tend to agree. I think when you look at Jurgen's philosophy, you're you're seeing a middle ground somewhere between um and of course this will be biased because they happen to be the two managers of my two teams, but you're looking at the middle ground of Arsene Wenger and um Caleb Porter in Portland. Um the four five one is obviously it's the way that Arsenal plays now, it's kind of the way that Arsenal have tended to play for a while. Uh, it was some people will say a four four one one was the the hallmark of the the great Arsenal teams in the early part of the 21st century, but that's really just another way of saying a four five one with your center attacking midfielder doubling as forward. Um, and then possession with the purpose, obviously, is the mantra of Caleb Porter's philosophy. Portable, and that's sort of what we see from the U.S. when they go forward. We we see strong runs, we see uh, not very much hesitation in midfield when the U.S. is playing at their best. We see Bradley getting the ball, holding it up, and working with the wings. Um, so when I say that the U.S. will play a strong possession game, I don't expect them necessarily to play tiki-taka or hold the ball at midcourt while they dribble out the clock. Um but they they're set up to be a, a an aggressively passing team and um a team that isn't as dependent on the counter attack as they once were. Yeah, absolutely. So we saw some we saw some uh major debuts. We actually saw one one debut on Wednesday night, but it felt like we saw five. Uh Julian <laughs> Green came on for the first time. As, uh, as a U.S. international after making his one-time switch. He is an 18-year-old kid who is playing in uh, the fourth division in Germany for Bayern Munich's, um, Bayern Munich's uh, youth team. I, uh, he, he's been pretty, pretty uh, divisive, I guess. I, I, everyone has a pretty strong opinion of him, if he should be on the team, this, that, or the other. But uh, I generally think he had about as good of a debut as you could expect from an 18-year-old kid who's coming on uh, in a Mexico-U.S. game in a pro-Mexico crowd in Arizona, in Glendale. Um, he still, he still, I, I think, I think he did enough for me to make the 30-man roster. I think he's done enough internationally to make the 30-man roster. Obviously, there's something about this kid that the uh, that the guys that 
that uh, the USA likes. So he's, he, he possesses some some qualities. I think he widened the game a bit more than, uh, than what was happening when he wasn't on the pitch. He should have drawn a foul. There's a bad no call by a referee. He should have drawn a foul just outside the box. Um, and uh, he tried to take players one-on-one, which Jurgen wants people to do. Thoughts on Julian Green? I think Julian shows a lot of promise. I was really encouraged by him. I think he brings a factor to the team that hasn't been there in the past. He does, like you say, he shows the ability to take players one-on-one. He shows a uh, a, a turkiness, I guess, in the box. He sees the game well. He brings width for all of his rawness. I think he is an important talent. I'm of the opinion that he will be at least named to the 30-man roster. I'm, I'm with you on that one. Yeah, because I think that um, that's was sort of the deal that Jurgen made for him when he was uh, when he switched his citizenship or switched his FIFA uh, federation to the U.S.'s. Um, so I, I do expect to see him in Brazil, and I think that's good. I don't expect him to be the savior of U.S. soccer. I don't expect him to be another Freddie Adu where we put all of the pressure in the world on him and he turns out to be only an average player. I think that his personality is suited to staying humble. And I think working with Jurgen and the coaches at Munich, uh, I don't know if there's a better place in the world for a young player to develop except for Arsenal and apparently Southampton. And Barcelona, I suppose, although, you know, they're in trouble right now. Yeah, that's very uh, true. They're they're in big trouble. So I like Julian. I'm encouraged by Julian. I, I don't necessarily know that he deserves to make the World Cup squad in the traditional sense, but I think that an investment in Julian Green now will pay dividends for the U.S. in the future, and we are potentially looking at the most talented U.S. player in history. That's that's interesting. Um, I, also, he's a year and a, younger than us. If, yeah. if you were feeling good about your day, he's uh, he's definitely he's definitely one for the future, and he's I'm, I'm definitely okay with bringing him. I'm with you in thinking that he definitely makes the thirty man, I'm, I, and I'm okay with him with him going to Brazil. Uh, you know, you could eventually see a front line of him and Josie and Aaron Johansson. In the uh, in 2018 in Russia, which would be something special. Hopefully, if Josie can can uh, write the uh, write the path that he's on that wrong right now, I'm sure he will. But he wasn't featured in this friendly, so that's that's a topic for another time. Um, so uh, Landon Donovan uh, looked a bit fat, looked a bit fat. I'm not gonna lie, he was a bit chubby. Fat Landon, it's okay. Um, he hasn't been great. Even though we are three, only three, four games. LA has only played three games in the MLS season, so he he's still, uh, you know, in early season form. He will uh, hit his stride by the time the World Cup comes around. Um, he definitely goes to Brazil. I don't think anyone's going to argue that. Any is is there a possibility that he doesn't start for the United States in Brazil? There's a possibility. But he starts. I think. I think he starts. I don't know. Unless he's injured or just no, he's shit. 
Yeah, yeah. unless he's just shit. Um, he is the best player that the U.S. has ever produced. And even though we see the the knife coming on his career, he'll start in Brazil because he brings things that no one else can bring to the field. Uh, he brings wit, he brings vision, he's lethal on set pieces, which has always been the U.S.'s bread and butter, even after the transition from Bob Bradley to uh, Jurgen. Well, uh, first, you know, people say that. It's true, it is the U.S.'s bread and butter, but that's because set pieces are everybody's bread and butter. Set pieces are the easiest way to score in soccer, you know? Yeah, but I think that the U.S. practiced them more. I think that the U.S. has a, a better idea, and I think they're well-suited to set pieces. They're well-suited to getting in the box and fighting for for aerial balls. You know, set pieces are, other than the the taker, other than the, the taker, the free kick, or the, the corner, they're not an area of necessarily great skill, but of great desire and great athleticism, which has always been what the U.S. is good at, even though oh, they absolutely. have a skill of players. Like um, it's like rebounding. You, uh, you rebound with your heart. Um, and? And two hands. And you box out. And you box out. <laughs> That's right. You will hear that for your last day in the NBA. Um, yeah, we, we've, we've all youth coaches out there, we've said it for you. You do not have to tell your team to box out during a game. They should know that. Okay. <laughs> uh, I think so, yeah. uh, I, I think I, I'm with you. I, I'm generally with you on uh, Landon starting. I think I think you have a, a midfield of of Dempsey, Donovan, and most likely Zusi. With uh, and even though I I would rather see Beckerman, I I, I do still think Clemson has a bit of a love affair with uh, Jermaine Jones. Maybe that's uh, because he plays for Schalke, maybe there's some sort of, uh, you know, hint of uh, some sort of a German connection there. Uh, so I, I think it'll be Zussi, uh Well, no, yeah, Zussi, Donovan, and uh, Dempsey with uh, Bradley and uh, Jones in the midfield. Uh, I I hold out hope that. Klinsman opts to play Beckerman or Adu over Jermaine Or Cameron. Or, well, I would like Jeff Cameron to play center back. I would uh, like Jeff Cameron to play right back. I would, I would make, also let like Let me Jeff make the case right for Jeff Cameron at right back. Jeff Cameron plays 38 games a year for Stoke City Football Club in the English Premier League at right back, and that is a mid-table team. They're consistent. He might not be the best going forward. He doesn't give you a, a lot of pace going forward, like uh, DeMarcus will as, as left back. But for the love of God, try this man at right back. That's this is this is the position he plays week in and week out. And I just don't understand the reluctance of trying him at right back. Uh, yeah, I I mean I agree with you, Stoke. Are notoriously a, a great defense, and I think Cameron is well suited to right back. I think uh, he he plays very well at right back. The reason I want him at center back is because 
the rest of the U.S. center backs terrify me. And I don't see him playing Goodson and Beasley together. They're the only two center backs in the U.S. that I trust. I don't trust Michael Orozco. Parsley gets a drop to scout from his name. Um, I, I don't I don't know who he is anymore. I don't I'm trust Juan Gonzalez because he's bad at soccer. Um, Michael freaking Orozco. Michael freaking Orozco Fiscal, but not anymore. <laughs> not anymore. Um, so my my desired back line would be um, Fabian Johnson and Run DMB at the fullbacks and uh, Jeff Cameron and one of Clarence Goodson or Matt Beasley at the uh, center has. I'm and gonna then, go ahead and oh oh that's right and you're and you're and on the on the other side um, midfield obviously I would love Beckerman or Adu I hate Jermaine Jones and I will forever because he's terrible um, except when there's snow in his afro of course Michael Bradley will make it uh, coming out of the the deep center midfield um, as far as the the attacking midfield slash wingers Landon obviously on it. Um, I think, yeah, I think Zeus takes your other wing and Clint in the hole. Um, Brad Davis is in the conversation for the second wing. Um, I like Brad Davis. Breck Shea obviously is in the conversation. Um, but Breck has always shown his propensity to be a, a super sub, essentially, mm-hmm. uh, to come in off the bench and bring in pace and desire to that left wing, and he does very well that way. Um, but yeah, I think you, uh, you're looking at a midfield of one of Davis or Susie and uh, Landon on the wings, and then Clint sitting in the the bird camp number nine uh, role or number ten role, really. Um, yeah, I think we need to go ahead and mention that the one of the big concerns about uh, about Gonzalez and in the defense in general is uh the United States did go up two nil in the first half, had an excellent first half, the best first half they've had in a in a while. Uh probably since uh well in a long time, really the best first half. Um it was kind of like a bizarro USA performance. We usually are terrible. And then we uh we right the wrong in the second half. But then we we let up two goals to Mexico. Two goals that probably shouldn't have been let up. Um of course, the, the result really doesn't matter. We didn't we didn't lose to Mexico, so uh, thank God. Um, and and in, in the long run, this result doesn't matter. So, um, but yeah, we that there there is still a lot of concern uh, defending. I didn't quite understand um, Klinsman's uh, substitution of Goodson in for Beesler. Not that I mind Clarence Goodson. It's just that I think he would have been better off picking a center back pairing uh, out of those three, Goodson, Beasley, and Gonzalez, and uh, letting them get as many minutes together as possible. Yeah, I agree with you. And Omar Gonzalez was a disaster. He's He wasn't good. He was actually quite bad. I, well, I, I, will say some, I will say about Gonzalez that he generally 
makes a good tackle in the box. He's not prone to giving up penalties, and he's very good in the air. The thing about Gonzalez is that he will switch off. I think Gonzalez can give you a great 85 minutes. I really do. But you can't switch off for five minutes. You can't. And that's why he's prone to switching off. And you have no way to know when he's going to switch off. He can't track a run to save his life. That's that's true, too. That's true, too. So I, I do think he brings something to the team, especially on corners and I, and, and, and and in the box if, if he doesn't have to uh, – uh, if he doesn't have to mark a long run or this, that, or the other. I don't think he's the answer. But uh, let's remember, he did um, – he has had good performances in the U.S. shirt, so I'm not ready to uh, to uh, take him out of it. I, I think he's still – him and – I think him and Beasley are still the favorites to start in Brazil. Uh, I'm not ready to uh, – well, we'll see how the how the friendlies go in, in early June. Um, so, And we, we, we uh, definitely need to bring in – as much as much talent in, uh, in the back as we can. We have a lot of options in the back. It just doesn't, none of them seem to to click or mesh like like they need to. If that makes any sense. Uh, I agree with you. I, the U.S. doesn't have the kind of center back that can just come into a team, regardless of pairing. Very true. You have to, they need they need that chemistry, especially against the the talent they're going to go up against. Yeah, they've uh, they've got a raw deal kind of in uh, those those forwards that are going to be running at them uh, with Ronaldo and the you know, the German team. So it's concerning, but I don't necessarily think it's going to be a disaster. No, 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 not at all. I mean, there there's a lot of cause for concern from this game, but I think we do need to stress how great that first half was. It was amazing. They played brilliant. Those goals were brilliant. It was after they got going. After the first five minutes, they were kind of terrible. Um, yeah. But after they they sort of started knowing where everybody was, they started to sort of come into the game. I think that uh, they were really really great. They they had energy. They they connected well. Um, Bradley, of course, is the the dynamo for the team. He is the the spark mm-hmm. that runs that engine. Um. And it was really encouraging to see them see them uh, attacking with the way they were and holding the ball in possession and generating chances. And um, even though they didn't score from open play, I uh, they did score from open play. Was that second goal from open? You're right. It was. It was. Yeah. I even if the World Cup happens to just like be a terrible memory that I want to block out. At least I'm going to have that Bradley run and that header to Wando, the turn number 2014 by. Yeah, so that first half was that first half was encouraging. That first half is the kind of uh, the kind of soccer that let the U.S. take claim to the best team in Concacaf, and it's the kind of soccer that they are capable of and will need to play in Brazil to get the results that they need. Well, I think I think some of these games in Brazil are going to be are going to be kind of Concacafy. I mean, stadiums aren't ready. It's going to be hot. It sounds like a World Cup held in 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 Concacaf. It does. And I also sounds like a World Cup World Cup held in a World Cup a World Cup a World Cup held in our uh, backyard, essentially. 
I do want to say, I do want to say that, um, and it's it's a weird feeling, and I've been feeling ever since the hex ended. I've I've kind of missed Tonka Calf. Like like it's like we're leaving our buddies behind, you know. I do like Tonka Calf. I, I, I love like, our buddies. I'm so proud of the Hondurans. I you do love the Hondurans. You I love do the love Hondurans. Yeah, that's right. They're smart. You want to do take listens. You want to do a quick 30 seconds on the H? Do a quick 30 seconds on the H. I think you make me do this every time we talk about soccer, so this is the second I don't think we talked no, we did. talked about the H on the pod. No, we, when we did the World Cup pod, we talked about the H and how the another, H is the hunter in secret to their their talent. It's how they score goals is the, the giant H crest on their uh their shirts, and when they take it off, they reject who they are. Even when I Google Honduras, it shows up the uh, the crappy soccer ball eight uh, crest that they have, and it's terrible. It looks like um, an MLS logo. It does. Jerry Bingston draws his power from the H, and uh, I'm glad they've chosen to stick with it, and I hope it serves them well in the future. I make and, you do yeah. this. I make you do this so we everyone knows that this was our thing before anyone else claimed that they true. were talking about the H. The H is very important to me, and I hope that through the H, they beat the hell out of France. And there you go. Uh, come through that group. Uh, I, I especially hope they beat the hell out of France if Nasser doesn't go to the World Cup, because that's a thing people are saying, and I just don't understand how that's going to happen. But that's for that's for the EPL pod when we do that later. Um, before we go off this topic, uh, I let's do a quick uh, one. One quick question. One more quick question about the USA. I'll answer first, and you can answer. Is there um, who is your player on the bubble right now that you think is going to end up going? And I'm going to say, for me, it's it's Wando. I love a poacher. I love someone who can. Uh, who can instinctively find the ball and be in a he, – he's got great movement and he's he can get in position well. And I think he can score against anyone. I think he can do that at an international level. He's obviously not going to start games. Um, and it is uh, a pretty heavy strike pool if you assume that – if you assume that Josie goes, Johansson goes, um, Boyd or Gomez goes, Julian Green goes, if, you know, if you yeah, – say you take four of those guys, I mean, it's, it's – it's hard to make a case for him, but I think if he has a really good year in MLS, if he's scoring goals at the right time, and uh, he can come down to Brazil and he can nick a, a 90th minute winner for us against uh, a German B team that we need to our equalizer against a German B team, we need to move to the next round. So I'm liking Wando, and I think uh, his performance on Wednesday helped him uh, helped increase his stock. I uh, so right now I think he's off the bubble. Depending on how these other guys perform, he could obviously not go. But uh, that's, that's the way I'm leaning on that question. So who is your player on the bubble that you have going to the World Cup? Well, As of right now. I would have said Chris Wondolowski. Okay. But instead, I am trying to decide between a defender and a striker. By the way, I don't think Boyd or Gomez goes to Brazil. I don't either. Look at home. I don't either. If I had to pick my four, it's Deuce, um, Julian, or let me rephrase it. It's Deuce, 
uh, Wando, Josie, and one of Julian or Aaron Johansson. See, I'm not so sure they, they're going to list Dempsey as a striker. Uh, well, they, they traditionally have, even though they've played him in the, the bird camp role, the, the 10 role. But I, um, but it, it's always possible that they list Deuce as a midfielder, in which case yeah. his spot goes to Aaron, who I guess would be my my bubble player. I think uh, he's he's tearing up here to visit, although I think that I could score a goal in the Dutch league. Oh yeah, we should go. We should try and play in the Eredivisie. That would be a that would be a challenge. Not really. Anyone can score in the Eredivisie. Um, although there is something to be said about uh, scoring a lot of goals and just being confident and being, uh, you know, scoring left and right in 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 your league week in week out. You know, there is something yeah, to be said for that. It does generate I mean, confidence, and goals begin goals. goals when you yeah, when you yeah, learn exactly. how to score even at an easy level. Uh, you get better at scoring. I guess my other player that I'm looking at that's on the bubble uh, is, as much as I hate to say it, DeAndre Yedlin of the uh, Seattle Flounders FC. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a good game on Wednesday. Yeah, uh, he, he had a he had a good game. Um, he's pacey. Um, he, he's tenacious. He uh, he turns and he dolos. And uh, to quote Men and Blazers, he he goes forward and he tracks back well. Uh, he's very young, he's very inexperienced. He's only played 34 games, so just under a full season for Seattle. Um, I think that he stands a chance of making the squad, and I think that he's uh, he's very encouraging. Yeah, he definitely he definitely has a shot. He's definitely in for uh, one for uh, 2018. Um, he also has the the blonde hair. The the uh, the Eddie Johnson was rocking that for a while. Yep. Um, it's always it's always fun. You know, it's a hair game hair game strong on the U.S. Men's National Team. Hair game strong. That's right. Okay, so that was your USA two Mexico two friendly post match report. Um, we're gonna keep talking about this national team as the World Cup approaches. I'm sure that soon. Uh, before those friendlies, we're going to have a, a preliminary 23-man, the, the Desert Island 23-man roster, where we will send, uh, we will actually choose a, a 23-man team uh, that we would send to Brazil. Uh, so that'll be fun. We'll be working on that. Um, so let's move on to the other topic we wanted to discuss today. Uh, this off, uh, actually before the U.S. kicked off on Wednesday the 29th season of the real world finished uh finished its its run the the re, uh the uh reunion show is actually going to air next wednesday so there's still one technically one episode left but uh yeah this season was incredibly fascinating i i fell in love with this season of the real world it was it's going to be known as a uh, real world explosion in the in the canon because they brought back Seven of the strange, uh, six of the seven strangers' exes, and had them live in the house. And they were more or less, and less exes, and more like people that they kind of had an on again, off again agreement with. And it um, just, you know, caused for some uh, fascinating, fascinating drama, uh, real drama, real human drama, real actual um, issues. And 
dare I say that I think these people actually grew over the course of the season. It seems more like a, a pure early real world season for me where there was something something more going on, a bigger conversation, something being discussed more than just the usual uh what the real world has become, your your drama filled reality show, which I love. But I feel like there was a lot more going on here. I can't decide if this season was good. I don't know how I feel about it, really. I don't know how I feel about the people. I think it is fascinating to me because I think this cast, or that any cast, um, grew. Grew as a unit, grew as individuals throughout their uh, their experience at the real world. And um, that wasn't necessarily something that we saw as much in Portland last year. Although uh, a lot of those people did grow and, and changed a lot. I think uh, particularly Jordan learned a lot about himself uh, in Portland. Um, it was uh, really fascinating. I think everybody in the house this year learned something important about their personalities and their conduct. And uh, that was that was very fascinating to me. Um, I feel like even though there was the the trope of the exes, this was a more honest look at what it's like to be a twenty something. On as much as I don't really like that phrase, on uh, on a television show or not, trying to to to, to interact with people and trying to to figure out what you're doing with your life. I at at the core of of this season, it, the story uh, the story of this season was really about um for me it was really about a man's kind of descent into madness almost. Uh every week uh you saw uh uh something happen with uh Brian who came in as an ex. He was Jenny's ex. And you saw Brian kind of just as he seemed like he lost it. That's a, a little you know something happened each week that would tweak him just a little bit and would keep tweaking him. And this week uh he on the last night of the uh, the last night, he decided he was going to go out and get very very drunk and possibly very very uh, uh, high on some some sort of other substance because it seemed like no you know it didn't seem like a a drunk a drunk madness but he really just kind of turned into an animal on the last night and it was seemed like a logical progression, I and mean, he, he kind of hit rock bottom on the final night in the house. Uh, it was just sh- shocking. Um, you know, he was getting physical with Ariel and not in a sexual sense, in a violent sense. Um, he was, he broke, uh, he broke the frame of a bed. He put a sweater on and uh, looked in the mirror and just said red, because the sweater was red. Um, he was just uncontrollable. He, the security looked like they were having trouble holding him down. Uh he was uh he was an interesting character all year round and I, I at one point I thought he was a really smart guy and later on we thought, you know, we learned that that wasn't so much the case and really he just he just puts uh 
puts a kind of a, a facade on and and uh he really uh cares about Jenny and he's really invested in that relationship with Jenny but that relationship with Jenny just uh is toxic for Brian. I yeah, I agree with you. Um one of the most I think interesting parts of all that business for me was how Ariel continued to be the pinnacle of human evolution. It's true. Ariel is the greatest person in the world. And uh, the way that she was able to to go into that situation and uh, and look at both sides of the situation and understand Brian's pain and, and approach him on that level and never grew uh, frustrated or, or or violent or upset with the way Brian was handling himself. Um, and you know it was it was nice for for her. She served a role to to remind the audience of the how hard it must have been for for Brian to. To be involved with Jenny, and you know, I, I don't necessarily think either Jenny or Brian were right in the situation. Um, I think that, like you said, I think that that relationship had turned toxic for them. I, I, I never really decided how I felt about Jenny. Sometimes she she drove me crazy. Sometimes she was fine, but. Um, Yeah, like you say, I think it was fascinating to see how that relationship played out for Brian. Mm-hmm. I think Arielle is is uh, just a, a, in general. It seems that she's a genuine and, and sympathetic person. Uh, one, there's a moment from this season that doesn't get talked about. We really, I mean, really, I, I was surprised it wasn't talked about more on the internet or. Uh, on on reality TV podcasts or or anything like that, but that was Ariel is from Oakland, which is uh, about an hour, you know, thirty minutes to an hour away from San Francisco. So she's really kind of just she kind of got to stay home. Um, but so she brought in some of her friends uh, from Oakland, and they were a lot of a, a bunch of them were uh, transgender people, and um, I think uh, there there's uh, there was a sympathy to um, understanding people because of where she comes from and the the background she has. I mean, every, every uh, LGBT person has um, – it's a big moment for them when they come out. And uh, I'm sure they, and they definitely have faced some sort of subtle, uh, if not blatant, oppression in their lives. So they can – they are uh, – she, she uh, happened to uh, be sympathetic to uh, someone like – uh, Brian, who is having a difficult time with something like that, but that moment when she brought in her friends, who are um, her tra- transgender friends, and really helped—I mean, that was really—they were very visible on TV, that everyone was so accepting and wanted to learn about what it means to be uh, transgender in 2014. Uh, kind of a beautiful moment. Uh, there were some like beautiful moments this season. I—I uh, I, I was going to save this for later, but I—the ending, the actual ending 
to this episode and this season um, was uh, kind of kind of really well done because it just goes full circle. Everyone leaves the house one by one, um, the sad goodbyes, so on and so forth. But uh, it ends with Corey and Jenny alone in the house, just the two of them. And that's really where the the the, the focus of the season, the acts of the season was Jenny and the relationship between Corey and Jenny and Brian. And they all, you know, Brian and Corey had a bromance at one point. They were actually getting along and then they became very divisive. And Jenny was always the focal point of this. And I'm, you're not sure if, if Corey really ever stopped having feelings for Jenny. But they, they did one more confessional. And it was just Corey and Jenny in the confessional like it was week one when Corey put on the bear suit and they had sex in the confessional room. And it was kind of sweet and kind of beautiful that they've come full circle and they've grown and uh, they both live in L.A. now. And there was, you know, kind of a hinting that they were going to stay in contact in L.A. And I don't know, it was, it was really, really sweet. And I, I think there were some sweet moments this season. And that really, that really kind of tugged at my heart a little bit. There were some nice moments this season. There were some really great moments, I think, with Jay and Jenna. Um, I think you saw Jay really forced to mature. Uh, forced to go up with all of the, the, the tragedy surrounding his mother. And That uh, was shocking. I mean, I, I shout out to Jay for, like, letting people, like, letting, being okay with, not not just leaving. I mean, I no one would have blamed him if he said, I'm not coming back. This is just going to be the end of my run on the show. No one would have blamed him for that. But, like, shout out to him for letting us look into something like that and look into his family and meet his family and just how how tragic that whole incident was. Rest in peace, Jay's mom. Mm-hmm. And confronted with that and with uh, with his relationship, the uh, the way that Jamie kind of forced him to confront his relationship, uh, we saw him grow up a lot. We saw him address the problems in his life and uh, address the things he didn't like about his personality and kind of came through the other side as a uh, more more confident person. Um, the one the one person that I was kind of frustrated to not see very much of was uh, Ashley. Which Ashley? Uh, Ashley Ariel's ex. I could give a fuck about. Uh, crazy Ashley? Crazy Ashley. Oh, hey, crazy Ashley think, was awesome. Hold on, I, hold on. Serious question. There's a rumor that Crazy Ashley was a plant, so that like she could like 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 producers planted Crazy Ashley, so she could get kicked out, so they could have an excuse to go on the day trip and wait for a new roommate. I don't necessarily buy that because Ashley was really crazy, and she did come back and hang out with Jenny that one night, which was weird. Um, but just something, just something to, to think about. Production was uh, on point this year. Yeah, they were really on point. Um, but yeah, you're right. We didn't see a lot of Ariel's uh, ex and now now girlfriend. Yeah, which was nice. Um, not that we didn't see very much for that. They got back together and had a good My thing about the, the Ashley rumor is why was, did, did they need a plant? No, they didn't need a plant, but I think I, I guess it's just almost like unbelievable that she would she threw hot grease on Ariel. You know what I mean? Like not a lot of hot grease, but like that's like an unthinkable thing to do. So I, I, I don't know. It was just it was just a thought floated around. 
Um, I mean, Jimmy is scared of ketchup. Jimmy is scared of ketchup. And we're going to talk about the challenge in just a few minutes. Yes, we are. Uh, um, did you want to say something about REL's, Ashley? I just, we didn't, I didn't learn very much about her. I don't feel like I got a good, uh, good feel for her. And that kind of upset me because I, that she was one of the, the cast members that I was interested in. But when you have such a big cast, I guess it's hard for her, for everybody to get a lot of screen time. And also, she worked. So, I think... Uh, That's true. She had a job. I think that, um, that probably took away from her screen time. Well, you know, also, uh, they, she had that one episode of Ariel where they were kind of talking about the dynamics of, of their relationship. Uh, kind of like, uh, you know, Ariel was talking about how she... It was that same episode as the uh, as her, with her with Ariel and Ashley's transgender friends coming. Uh, mm-hmm. It was kind of like Ariel was... She generally likes to dress a bit more masculine, a bit more... Uh, and, and that's not something... And Ashley kind of has an issue with that. So that that was actually very... That was totally real, which was kind of like really good. That was an actual sort of the personal as political issue playing out on the real world, a real issue that these two people with a history have. Um, I wanted to touch real quick on, um, before we move on, to talk about America's fifth uh, major professional sport, uh, the challenge. I wanted to talk about um, Haley. Uh, She uh, obviously left after after the baby incident, and... uh, that was another just very real moment that happened on uh, this season. I didn't Haley have a lot to say about Lauren. Haley was Tom's ex. Excuse me. Hey, uh, Lauren. 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 My bad. Um, that was another very real moment that happened on the season. Um, so I, I and I obviously re- uh, respect Lauren for for going. She can go off and do whatever she pleases. She does. She doesn't need to be on on television during during bad if she doesn't want to be on television. Um, but, uh, and, and that storyline wasn't that interesting, the whole Lauren and Corey thing until, um, until the baby happened. And that was, that was fascinating. Just another, another example of, uh, I, I think that being in the, the way that this show sparked a realness that hasn't been seen in the real world, that was kind of, that's not just like manufactured drama, but real kind of interpersonal human drama is, we have people in this house that have a personal history with each other and um and know about each other so that was that was another fascinating element to me and i i don't really want to spend too much i didn't really want to talk about Lauren um that much uh, like i said i'm sure we'll see her on the reunion next week i hope she's doing well but i did want to talk about Jamie and Tom that was totally a relationship i don't think that the producers expected but something really bothered me in this episode about with them talking about uh, continuing their relationship and it being a long distance relationship. First of all, first of all, Jamie lives in Houston. Tom lives in Dallas, both in the state of Texas. I did a little research. It takes three hours and forty minutes to drive from Houston to Dallas. That is not a long distance relationship. It's it's long distance enough in that. You can't just make the drive whenever you feel like it, and that that does make a difference. Having, I mean, that's almost exactly the distance between Mobile and Tuscaloosa, and having attempted that, 
I I can tell you that it is it it's stressful. It, it hurts the, your ability to to connect in a relationship. Do I think that it's impossible to do a relationship that far away? No, not necessarily. No, it's before, especially well, no. um, if you're mature people who are you know they're it's a relationship. They're at a stage in their lives where they have to consider relationships being uh, serious enough to make those sacrifices. It's not that they'll never get to see each other. It, it will make things difficult, but not impossible. Um, so I can understand Tom's reluctance because it is difficult. And, well, I, just, uh, I understand the pain of how things went for him in his last long distance relationship. But I think that he finally realized um, it's it's a distance that that isn't insurmountable, and if it matters, you make it work. And if it doesn't work, then it wasn't going to work to begin with. Well, just his reluctance for so long was what what bothered me. I think I think that he, like by the time the season had ended, they should have been like good to go. I mean, not not. I understand the challenges of of that being long enough a long enough distance, but I don't get like his reluctance so much. I mean. You've obviously done it for the past I and I know you've lived together already for like eight weeks, but you should I mean you should be all you don't need you really shouldn't have to think about this, I think. I think it should be like we have to give it a go. There's there there's no there's no option here. And if if that messes up, I mean I'm I'm to, I totally know it's gonna be Tom's fault. I cannot wait for the reunion next week to see if those two are still together. I probably should do some Twitter research and I'll do that later. There's the other doing. Are they? One hour ago on Twitter, yeah. at Jamie China MTV. So it has this new extreme obsession with at Fruitwater. Incidentally, is that that's not the brand that is that uh, Fifty Cent helped? No, 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 no. That's Vitamin Water. Oh, okay, okay. I'm oh, obsessed sure. with carbonated flavored fruit waters. So maybe Jamie uh, and I have that in common. Like I okay. drank all of at Thomas Buell MTV. Law I need more. From Fort Worth, they're in Fort Worth, so she's in Dallas right she's now. She's in Dallas, okay. okay. And I think it, it didn't seem like Jamie had a job either. I mean, she could probably move to Dallas. Um, so Thomas, but <laughs> Thomas got turned down for an uh, for a picture with uh, Johnny Football. Oh, really? Yeah. I love Johnny Football. I cannot wait to see where he goes. But that's for NFL draft special. Uh, we'll do that too. Oh Thanks. my God, Jamie does a uh, an advice column. Jamie has at, an advice column? At Forever Shameless. I don't know if I want Jamie's advice. Jamie seems so pushy. Well, we're going to we're gonna follow Jamie's advice column on Twitter. Okay, I'm going to okay, do that okay. right now. Fine, fine. Maybe we should get her on the pod. Uh, I mean, I can email her to book her. I mean, they've all got booking addresses. We should try to gauge her reunion on the pod. <laughs> anyway, anyway, enough about the real world. That, that's over. It's done with. Let's let's start talking about let's get serious. We are less than a week away from uh, the challenge. Uh, the challenge, free agents, um, going to be uh, uh, something something else. I believe they're in Montevideo this year. Um, the first ever full season of a challenge in South America. I don't. Uh, there's not. I have the cast club. There's none of the none of the explosion cast are in this in this challenge cast. 
before we give a quick, and when I say quick challenge preview, I mean it's going to be quick because we're going to go in-depth next week. I already talked to Luke. We're going to try and make it happen. Our friend Luke Benson, who is uh, the the challenge expert, the foremost scholar on the television series The Challenge, uh, we're going to try and have him on the pod. Of the challenge. Yeah, he's, he's, he's like, if you watch The Challenge with Luke, it's like watching basketball with Magic Johnson. Luke will forget more about the challenge today than I will ever know. So we really hope to have him on uh, sometime next week to discuss it. But I want to know, who do you think in this cast, the explosion cast, are gonna is is challenge talent? Who can who can compete in the challenge from explosion? Okay, I'm gonna go two of each gender. Right, I think that Ariel. Yeah. Will will Ariel will win a challenge? Um, I I believe that. Uh, Ariel and uh Jamie. I think Jamie is uh my other my other female challenger. I I like Ariel a lot when it comes to the challenge. Uh, earlier on in the season, Corey had a, I believe Corey had a little too much to drink and he was gonna you know go go beat someone's ass or something. And Ariel was trying, as, as Ariel does, trying to control the situation. And she ended up kind of taking Corey down, like bringing him down. So she's a strong girl. She's strong. She's, uh, I, I don't know, I, I don't know if she can play the mental game as well as, as, um, as she needs to, to succeed. So, uh, uh, I, I I do like her as a, as a possible challenge prospect though. Um, on Jamie, I think she's the opposite of Ariel. Um, I think she's she's good on the on the mental game. I think she's she she doesn't take any crap. I think she's going to be mm-hmm. very direct. Um, but I don't know. I, I honestly don't know what her physical abilities are. I, I she could be. Uh, I I honestly don't know. Uh, I think she could give it a go. But where I was going to go with my female challenger from this season is uh, Jenny. I like Jenny. I think Jenny's uh, got the mentality for it. I think Jenny can take anything. If you notice, Jenny's kind of got her shit together. She has a house. She owns a house. Um, she owns a car. Uh, I think that. So I, I think she's organized. I think she knows how to. She would know how to play a game. She seems kind of like a student of the game, and I think she's definitely. Physical enough to uh, make a make a a run in the challenge. Uh, who did you have on the male side? This is a tough one for me. Um, nobody jumps out to me. I think all three guys on uh, Portland will make great challengers. Uh, I'm not sold on Johnny. I'm not sold I'm, on Johnny. I believe in Johnny. Johnny's from Boston. I believe in Johnny. Um, he's got that grit. Uh. So this is a this is a tough call for me because uh obviously the first two that you look at are Corey and Brian. Yeah. Um I don't think Brian will make it on the challenge. No, nope. no. He's got the right no. mentality. He's strong, but uh I just don't think he he'd do well in that situation. I think he would probably melt under the pressure. Um, do you remember Corey. do you remember last season on the challenge when Zach had that meltdown? Yeah, that was weird. I think that's that is what 
I mean, if you if you put Brian on the challenge, you are asking for that to happen. Yeah, I anyway. think. Uh, I think. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Brian would cause problems. Do you know what Brian's last name? I, I don't know. No, I don't. I mean, I'm Brian, sure it'll take... Brian Williams Jr. Really? I swear to God. Huh. I'm gonna All pretend. Right. I'm gonna pretend. He is Brian Williams. No, you know that. You know, that, you know uh, his sister would be Allison Williams. He'd be Marnie from Girls. Did you know that? <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah, that's Brian Williams' daughter in Girls. Yeah. Well, how about that? And so I think uh, I think you got to go with Corey. I think I I agree. Corey's Corey's strong. He's gritty. He's a personal trainer. He's in great shape. Uh, he'll be he's a great a cast member. He's, he's a player. He, yeah. Um. He'd be a great cast member. He'd be great to have in that house. Uh, he's not afraid of anybody. Uh, he, he's smart enough. Um, so I think Corey's going to be great on the challenge. And then i got to pick one of Jay or Tom. Um, I, don't, I don't like either of these guys for the challenge. Neither they do I. Just, uh, just, they don't seem like the right fit. I mean, you think Tom might be kind of like a Jordan from Portland, but I don't. I he doesn't have the drive that Jordan has. Yeah, no, um, I see more of that from Jay. I think Jay might be a sleeper pick for it, but I'm not. I'm not real confident in him. I uh, I don't feel good about Jay. I mean, uh, his profession is that he's kind of like a hype man. So I don't know. I don't know what that means. Does that mean he just didn't want to rap, or like he? I I, I don't know. I don't know. He. Uh, he might be, you know, smart enough. He might be wily enough. Tom's smart too. Tom's smart too. Tom, they're both smart guys, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not confident about either of those guys. But Corey, I didn't feel good about Corey. I think Corey's gonna make yeah. an impact on the challenge. I really want, I really want Corey on a challenge. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, next Thursday will be the premiere of uh, the challenge free agent. Um, a lot of our favorites will be back. Uh, Luke and I were talking last night, and it looks like the favorites are obvious. We were picking, uh, uh, oh, I might say, uh, I, I'm looking at CT for the win on the male side and uh, Emily for a win on the female side. Uh, since, since it is free agent, since it is, it, since it is not, uh, not as much of a team game this year, I think those two are, are the clear favorites. Uh, we'll, we'll dive into that next week. Um, do you have any quick quick thoughts on this upcoming challenge you want to get out before we, uh, uh, before I do a recommendation and uh, then we kind of bounce out of here? I um, let's see. I'm looking at this cast for only the second time. I'm going to pick uh, pick winners. Okay. I'm going with. Don't one. not pick CT because he's CT. CT is going to be like Dirk after the Mavs won the finals. I mean, he's just going to come on strong. I'm gonna pick. Uh, I'm gonna pick. Uh, I'm gonna pick Frank. Frank. Frank would be my dark horse. Yeah. I got Frank. I'm trying. I was trying to set between Frank and uh, Frank and Jordan. But I'm gonna stick with Frank. Um, on the women's side, I, uh, I'm going. I'm going with a, a sleeper pick. Pick. It's gonna be controversial. I'm probably gonna be wrong after the third episode. But I'm choosing Hurricane Nia. I'm on Ooh. a bandwagon. Ooh, a rookie. A real yep. rookie, like a first-timer. That's that's crazy. 
you have a soft spot for that Portland Cavs still. I do. I love that Portland Cavs. So that's uh, that's our quick mini challenge preview. Like I said, I hope we can bring on Luke next week and we can really do a challenge deep dive next week. Um, we're we're definitely gonna have something up on the blog about it. So uh, that's uh, that's our real world talk. Sean, do you have a recommendation for this week? Uh, no, no, I don't. no. All right. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. We usually we usually don't talk about recommendations beforehand, uh, so that's why uh, we get some. You know, that's why sometimes we don't have any, and that's okay. Uh, I just I, I, mine is less of a recommendation, uh, more of just a, a quick little eulogy. As of today, April fourth, television without pity will be going dark. They will not be uploading new content. Luckily, the archives. Um, are going to be saved. The forums will be up till uh, the end of May. I was too young to be a part of TV Without Pity when it was uh, coming into its own in the early 2000s, and I really never was a part of the TV Without Pity community. But Television Without Pity cares about TV. They cared about... It's changed. Uh, Television Without Pity cared about TV. They cared about recapping TV. They were the first people to recap TV like we know and love today, uh, you would get 11, 12-page recaps of episodes, and you would just, every week, it would just be part, you know, contributing to the conversation. And that's kind of how we watch TV today. And there would be 11 and 12-page recaps of, of everything, not just your quality TV, not just your Sopranos and The Wire, but, like, your your trading spaces and, and bad TV movies. So it was really special. And uh, I wanted to shout out to... Tara Ariano, Sarah D. Bunting, and uh, David Cole, who started that website, who are now all a part of Previously.tv, a website that I frequent, uh, I visit daily, I listen to all their podcasts. Um, uh, they are they're, they are continuing the TV without pity tradition, uh, and that's what I've kind of become accustomed to. I, like I said, I was never part of the television without pity community, but I think we do need to pay our respects to um, the creators of Recap Culture and uh, they kind of forecasted how we would watch TV uh, in the modern era. So thank you, Sarah, uh, Tara, and David. Keep doing the good work on Previously.TV uh, and your Extra Hot Great Podcast, and we will sorely miss Television Without Pity. Go check out some recaps. So uh, that's all I've got. I'm Mitchell Cahaley here uh, in Mobile, Alabama for the Desert Island Podcast, and he's... Sean Landry from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Good talking to you, Sean. It's always the highlight of my week. It's always great. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you soon. All right, love you, buddy.